Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Oh, yeah. Woo. Hello and welcome to another episode of SyrupCast. My name is Daniel Bader, and as always, I am joined by my newly shorn co-host, Douglas Soltis. How are you? Podcasts, come out and play. Podcasts. Douglas is feeling frisky. Yeah, I just ate a pear. It's delicious. Do it for the pear. Oh, this is such a bad time of year to be eating pears. Really? Yeah, there's. it's like the farthest away from pear season you can get. Yeah, right it kind of tasted like that, actually, but I haven't really eaten anything today, so, you know. Fair enough. In my moment of need. This week on SyrupCast, we are talking about the new wall report. Have prices dropped or risen over the last year in the Canadian mobile market? Uh, the FTC has sued AT&T. $100 million over reports of throttling unlimited plans. Does that have any impact on Canada? And do Canadian carriers do that? Uh, Microsoft went through a reshuffling of its executive team. Stephen Elop, former CEO of Nokia, is out. Terry Myerson is now in charge of all consumer products at Microsoft. Is BlackBerry building an Android phone? And should they? Apple Music is coming to Canada probably on June 30th. Is it going to be worth it? And finally, the Pebble Time. Is it a worthy successor to the original? We'll start with the wall report. This is a uh, piece of... Uh, it's, it's a report commissioned by the CRTC every year since 2005 detailing pricing trends for wireline and uh, broadband internet and, of course, mobile uh, throughout Canada. And uh, the findings this year are unsurprising but sort of disappointing, mostly because prices went up across the board. So, Douglas, you've had a chance to take a look at this. Um, Any surprises here? Uh, Well, so I think the one thing that really spoke to me uh, was near the bottom of the the write up. Just the idea that um, the price gap between what we're still referring to as new entrants uh, versus the big three. So like Wind, Mobilicity, Videotron, Eastlink, pricing for comparable plans twenty five to fifty percent cheaper <laughs> than Bell, Rogers, and Telus, uh, which I think. Is, is kind of the, the cherry on the Sunday of the report in terms of understanding the, the broad year-on-year trends? So that's not surprising, but the, the issue here is that they're 25 to 50% cheaper, but 
are they 25 to 50% worse? Like with Win Mobile, the argument has always been you get what you pay for. Um, and that's true of uh, Wind throughout Canada, really. But um, with some of the other new entrants like Eastlink, uh, more regionally focused ones, uh, Eastlink, Videotron. Shout out to Videotron. Uh, and, and sort of the regional incumbents like MTS and Sasktel, you're paying a lot less, but you are getting a comparable experience as long as you don't leave your, your geographic area. And we've talked about this a lot, really. You know, you, there are trade-offs to any mobile service in Canada, but if you really want uh, an expansive network, you have to go with one of the incumbents. But if you're okay kind of paying pay-per-use roaming, uh, then maybe a regional new entrant is, is probably your best bet. Now, are we sure that people from Manitoba are allowed to leave Manitoba? I, I don't know. I mean, I've heard rumors of the invisible fence across uh, across yeah. the border, but you know, I, I hear that uh, they found a way around it. I thought it was like right past Thunder Bay. It's like a a thousand foot high ice wall. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I really hope the White Walkers can can get by it. If only because I'd love to see some Manitobans pick up pitchforks and try to fight them. White Walkers being the CRTC, right? Uh, sure. Is that the metaphor? Okay. But okay, so yes. Um, so yes, let's, let's before we before we go any further. Sorry, you were you were doing hand motions. Yeah, uh, cost and experience and finding the equilibrium between the two, right? Yep. Um. So there's, I mean, let, let's start with the baskets that they look at so there are five baskets there's a new one this year they look at um sort of cheap talk baskets 150 minutes of talk and uh unlimited texting no data they look at 450 minutes oh sorry 150 minutes plain they look this basket two is 450 minutes and 300 texts per month basket three is 1200 minutes local 300 texts and a gig of data so the Basket three is probably where most Canadians with smartphones are today. The uh, fourth basket is unlimited Canada-wide talk and text and two gigs of data. So that's more the higher usage person. But really, if you know, we'll talk about that in a second. Basket three and four um, are very similar in price, and that's because basket three includes some long distance. Fifteen mm-hmm. percent of the uh, usage with uh with that would be long distance so calling us whatever uh basket five is i think where you and i are at that's unlimited canada-wide talk and text and five gigs of data and that's a new basket they've added this year so uh, i think i'm rocking six i want to say six you're what you're yeah absolutely but and and i'm rocking 10 because i'm a i'm just a glutton for punishment there you go but uh that's because i've been traveling so much and i've been using uh roaming so Okay, so here's here's the thing with uh, this wall report. A lot of people say that it, you know, it's commissioned by the CRTC, but it has a bit of a, a of a bias towards the uh, the incumbents like Rogers Valentelis. The result of this year's report is that even though prices have trended upwards in the past year, the overall trend since 2008 has been a decline in overall cost. But that shouldn't really be a surprise because as smartphones have commoditized, the price of um, sort of the, the the usage model has changed so much. I mean, mm-hmm. in 2008, there really wasn't a question of 
Um, there wasn't an LTE network. There really wasn't as high a saturation of smartphone users, but there also wasn't as high a need for data. And now we're at a point where two gigs is probably considered quite low, right? You could you could blow out two gigs by just consistently updating all the apps on your phone in a month. I think a lot of people are savvy enough to offload a lot of their usage to Wi-Fi. And, and most people I know know how to do that. Even the more novice smartphone users understand that they need to, you know, connect to Wi-Fi to do most of those heavy downloading um, activities. But at the same time, you know, I don't, I get a lot of questions by friends and family. How much data do I really need? I say two gigabytes is probably minimum. Uh, so we're looking at the, you know, basket four at a minimum and the incumbents, uh, you know, they, they break it up into four regional areas. There's Vancouver, Toronto, Montreal, and Halifax. And what you'll notice is that Vancouver, Toronto, and Halifax are identical in, in their pricing. I mean, it's within a few cents. It's, it depends on the, the tax rate in those provinces, mm-hmm. but in Montreal, the cost of service is much, much lower for the new entrant, for the uh, incumbents. And that's directly attributed to the presence of Videotron. Mm -hmm. So you, I mean, you know, you can make a correlation between the presence of a competitive new entrant like Videotron, like Eastlink, like MTS and Sastel, even though they're not considered new entrants, and the price of service from the uh, incumbents and where there is no strong new entrant, specifically British Columbia, Alberta, and Ontario, you have much higher prices. Where wind and, and mobility are really the only new entrants you can choose from, there's no question prices stay high, largely because Rogers, Bell, and Telus don't consider wind to be a competitor. Yeah, it's like, so the, that, that downward trend, which... which is marked after the emergence of the new entrants, which then offer a price significantly lower than the big three, as we've seen growth amongst the new entrants. Um, and then, and then that, that gap between, I found interesting between the, the big three and then the big three, uh, what's the term you always use for them? Like the sub brands, flanker brands, flanker brands, you know, we have this this gap that I feel like we're, we're that upward trend that we're seeing this year, despite you know um, I guess five or six years of a downward trend is we I think we've hit the threshold where um, the structure of how these the competition is set up needs to continue evolving for there to be uh, a, like a new evolution. I I agree with that, but I I also think that the study is inherently flawed. Only because the the incumbents um, they've been pushing these share plans, right? So you have mm-hmm. a bucket of say five gigs, but yep. they're not, uh, from what I understand, they're not really um, they're not differentiating between a a price based on a single user in an account and say a two or three family home sharing a single data pool. Right. So a lot of people have adopted these share plans and in order to cut down on costs, they're sharing six, 10 gigabytes between three or four people. And that's significantly lowering their costs. Totally. Um, Whereas wind mobility 
Eastlink, all these incumb- all these new entrants, they're not yet offering these plans. They're more akin to the flanker brands where they offer individual plans for, um, you know, they offer, say, five gigabytes of data. They call them, um, a lot of them are unlimited, but they get start getting throttled at five gigs. And I think yeah. that's that's waiting the, uh, the testing or the uh, results a little bit. Uh, it's skewing it a little. So... Well, it's 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 just checkers versus chess, right? You have the 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 new entrants trying to win at a a per user model to grow their base, while the big three are playing uh, like a family saturation game and competing not on price in any way, but only on services, value added services on top of that that base price, right? So l- let's talk about that a bit because we know what Rogers Bell and Telus have been doing recently, and they've been pushing to a more value added service model where you pay a lot of money upwards of a hundred dollars, sometimes 150 even for, you know, your unlimited nationwide calling texting and six gigs or three and four gigs of data, whatever you get, but they're tacking on all these things right there. Mm-hmm. You know, Rogers has Rome like home. It has a uh, next issue for tablet users. It has uh, the NHL. Yeah. Um, Go Blackhawks. You know, they have all of these added services where they want you to feel good about your investment. TELUS, on the other hand, has these customer service focused uh, additions like free appointments to help you learn your phone. Bell has mobile TV. And if you sign up on a two-year contract, you get 24 months of mobile TV at no extra cost. Of course, regulation has said that it can no longer forgive any data usage um, over LTE, but that's besides the point. You're still getting access to its live television networks mm-hmm. uh, on your phone, where you know, whereas you would have had to pay five dollars a month. So, you know, you're getting all of these things. Um, the question is, is the is the trade off worth it? it? Are are and we've talked about this so many times. Do you want your network to be a dumb pipe that just offers you cheap and cheerful uh, access to the to their airwaves, or do you want something that gives you more? Uh, for more money. Yeah. Well, and so like the thing there is that, you know, we're talking about these value added services as if that they're, as if they're rolled into the, the higher price you pay for being on one of the big three. But in a lot of cases, they're value added services that you also add to your bill. Like, yeah. Okay. I, I get, if I do a, a, a share plan with Rogers, I get to do Rome like home. But I still have to pay for that when I'm doing it, right? So they're like, hey, if you if you sign up for this payment type, you get these great services, which you still then also have to pay for. Right. But I mean, the argue the, the argument there is that you're paying for the convenience of not having to put a, a roaming package on your phone. You're actually spending less overall if you than if you were a, a non-share customer, you would, you know be buying an a la carte roaming package paying for the convenience of not being inconvenient in the way that you add services to your phone bill. Sure. I get that. But at the same time, these are, these are, you, you cannot overstate the value of shaving off a little bit of friction to the customer service experience. I mean, yeah, I but why are you paying me that? That should just be your job. That should, you know, like that should be, a point of pride. Like, so we were talking, I'm going, I'm taking off on a plane to uh, London uh, this evening, post pod. Uh, 
was talking with you about setting up Rome Like Home. And I think the conversation went maybe 15 minutes longer than it should have because I, I was misunderstanding how simple it was <laughs> and I, thinking that I was getting something wrong when you're just like, yeah, just, just text the thing and you're fine. It'll just take care of itself. If they can do, like, there's nothing about my plan that makes it so easy for them to offer Rome Like Home to me. They should be able to offer that to any Rogers customer in terms of convenience of use. Me, me sending one text message, then con- them confirming that it's fine, and then if I have data roaming on, turned on on my phone, wherever I go, it works. That's, that's something that I shouldn't have to pay for the convenience of, or I need, a, I need a, a specific plan to make that easy. They should just be working to make it easy for me anyways. Well, I mean, you don't have to log, you don't have to sign up for Rome Like Home more than once. You just text it once and it's an opt-in and then you get it every time you go away. I, I disagree with you about the fact that you're, you, you shouldn't have to pay for convenience. I think Rome Like Home has improved my quality of life, so to speak, by making it unnecessary to change SIM cards, by making it uh, really easy to make calls wherever I am with my regular phone number to receive calls. Uh, you can in the US you roam on LTE on AT&T LTE which is a much stronger network than T-Mobile. I mean these are all things that have substantial value to me. Yeah, but so- I pay for that in my use of it. Like I'm paying for the right to then pay for this convenience. It's so not- you're saying that you should be able to roam for free because you pay a hundred and whatever dollars a month. In- no, I'm saying, why do I have to use a specific plan, which costs me more money to then be able to use Rome like home, which I pay for anyways. I see. Okay. Well, that's because they're trying to promote their share plans. That part, yeah. that's just business. I agree with you there, but they're really pushing everybody onto those share plans. So like, yeah, cause I'm, I'm happy to pay. Well, I'm not so happy to pay $10 a day. Um, for Rome like home, but like the, the five going to the U S I'm happy to pay that. That is convenient for me. It's easy to set up, but for me to have to then pay something else to, to basically update the plan that I was on for the past three years to get that convenience to pay more money, you know, that should be, they should offer that to every Rogers customer. Well, the problem is that they're, they, they're required to incentivize their customers to go into share plans because now that the the wireless code of conduct is in place those are the only ones compatible with two-year contracts that's not to say that they couldn't change it but that bold statement to say that they're required to incentivize no no no. they're required from a business perspective in order to consolidate all of their customers onto a single type of plan they have to incentivize people to change over so business-wise Looking at it from a shareholder value perspective, they need to get people onto higher ARPU um, plans. And in order to do that without alienating their customer base, they need to add value to be to, to those, those higher cost plans. Otherwise, people are going to hold on to those legacy plans forever. Yeah, but, but this you- is why no one likes carriers or banks. It's because if I'm a new customer, I get all the benefit. It's like... It's like I should start a new bank account every six months and then I'll end up with two free iPads a year and a better interest rate. I disagree because I think it used to be much better to be a new customer at a carrier 
than to be an existing customer. For example, Rogers had a policy where you couldn't buy a new phone if you were an existing customer until like all the new customers had received theirs. They wanted to get as many new customers onto their onto their network as they could. They would um, heavily incentivize new customers uh, by making things a lot cheaper for them. So the price of of coming to Rogers would be significantly less than if you were, say, re-upping a three-year contract as an existing customer, right? So for them, you know, net ads were more valuable. Now, you know, ARPU is more valuable. And that, to me, speaks to the fact that the wireless code has made it necessary to be more transparent about... Um, about their billing, about their about their plans, about everything. But it also speaks to the fact that they have the, the market is saturating, that they're not adding as many new there there aren't any or many new net customers coming onto mobile in general as there used to be. So they're basically just trading customers between networks rather than adding new customers well, who have never had service before. Yeah, because they were incentivized slash have chosen to not compete on price but on service or access to services, right? One thing that'd be really interesting to see in the report, and maybe this is less relevant now as people are moving on to these new big three plans, is the the percentage of people who pay overages per month on their bills and what those overages are. Right. So like did they break down in in the in the monthly amounts, those are those are amounts based upon, I'm assuming, the agreement, right? Not total amount paid, which would factor in overage charges. Well, what what kinds of overages are you referring to? Going over your minutes, long distance call, too much data, like any anything where you know going outside the bounds of your service agreement means that they ding you. So, based on the wireless code, they are required to send to block your. Uh, to, to block your service if you go $50 over your mm-hmm. monthly bill. Uh, and that's what happened to me last month. I went $50 over my bill from using too much data. And they shut off my service until I opted in. So Opted into what? Opted back into allowing them to continue charging me. Gotcha. So okay. they, they have to shut it off. L- legally, they have to shut you off if you go $50 over your bill. Yep. Um, you know, that that's a good thing because it means that these overages, they may be punitive in the sense that they're charging you a lot for those extra um, gigabytes or minutes or texts. But at the same time, it's easy. It's it's not as easy to, to rack up those extra charges. Yeah. No, but they also never, they also don't tell you when you're about to go over your bill. You always find out. But, but I'm saying. But no, they do. They do. They tell you when you're at 75%. And then at a hundred percent within that $50 amount though, um, it would be interesting to see how often people do that. Right. Yeah. I mean, that, I, that relates I to the, cause it relates to the, the, the setup and the architecture of these plans and what people are willing to pay for, but then what they actually need. Right. Of that, like that we're talking about like the two gigabyte um, data. And is that $50 overage? That's, that's just for data, right? That's not voice and data. That's that's no uh I think it's a hundred dollars overall and fifty dollars specifically for yeah, data. That sounds right. So I, I'm I could be wrong, but I I, I, rem- I recall that. I mean if you look at say the the latest plans from Rogers Bell and Tellus, the share plans, 
they've now added a cheaper option for for less calling. So before you would have for every new account or for every new number on your account, you would have to pay uh, sixty dollars for unlimited Canada wide calling, period. Mm-hmm. Whereas or, or for a smartphone, um, now they have unlimited local calling, which is five dollars less. And Telus and Bell have three hundred local minutes, uh, which is five dollars less than that. So you can save ten dollars a month if you want to use your phone less as a phone. <laughs> But oh, great! My new plan—it's uh, to me that is set up t- for me to push all my data use to uh, my home Wi-Fi, which I also must use through my carrier to offload <laughs> my total bill amount. Yeah, but it's a lot cheaper to have unlimited call, uh, unlimited uh, data on your home internet. Like it, it, it it'll, basically all of Roger's new plans include unlimited. Uh, bandwidth. Yeah, thanks, tech savvy. Right. So, I mean, to me, what's no seriously? More- thanks, tech savvy. Thank you. I, lo- <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I also love that it's just like prepaid to my credit card, so I don't even have to worry about missing a bill. It's like, hey, this is how much it was, exactly what we told you it'd be, and you've already paid. There you go. See you later. Magic. Um. So the the one thing that that I, I wanted to talk about was that you know with this wall report. That five gigabyte bucket is, um, you know, the highest tier that they are reporting on price. But neither Rogers Bell or Telus offers a five gigabyte bucket. They offer four or six. But that's besides the point. What what troubles me the most is that they're scaling these things so diff so. Uh, they're they're punishing low smartphone, uh, low data users by. Um, putting $5 between the uh, 500 megs, one gigabyte and two gigabyte plans. So it only costs $10 a month more to get two gigabytes than it does to get 500 megabytes. Um, And then, so they're really incentivizing that two gigabyte plan. And then as you scale up, it costs $20 more to get four gigabytes and only $15 more to get uh, six gigabytes. So like, the, the the scaling makes zero sense to me. It seems completely arbitrary. Oh, but it's uh, not. It's it's the thing that I would say the vast majority of the like employees at the big three spend their time on, right? Oh, I, I, I totally <laughs> know that there is magic, like ma- math magic behind this. But from an end user perspective, it's it's sort of like shooting fish in a barrel. Like you don't, don't really know. I mean, you can work out the data. Uh, the the cost per gigabyte for sure, and obviously spending one hundred twenty five dollars for six gigs is more. You're getting more value than ninety dollars for for two gigs, obviously. Um, but you know, it's 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 a matter of like, okay, uh, what about the people who don't really want to make calls, who just want to use their phone for data? Uh, where's my plan? You know, these are the kinds of solutions that the the carriers haven't really implemented yet. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, that this is we, we keep having this conversation. The Wall Report, though, if you haven't looked at it yet, is really interesting because it compares the price of Canadian service to that of uh, the U.S., the U.K., France, Germany, Italy, Australia, and Japan, and the only other country that consistently comes in at 
a higher cost for every single bucket. Japan. Japan. Yes. I just guessed that. That's amazing. So, I mean, I read the report and I knew that. <laughs> I mean, all the all the UK or, or the European countries are much cheaper, uh, significantly so. Uh, the US is is slightly cheaper than it used to be. So Canada is now falling behind the progress made in the US because companies like Sprint and T-Mobile are forcing AT&T and Verizon to lower their costs significantly. Um, well, would you say that Japan's the, US, the only country, Japan's the only country on that list that is less competitive than Canada? Because you're on an uh, island. You do. <laughs> like, it's, I don't know. It's, it's Kokomo, and that's that's it, right? I I don't know the way that the uh, the wireless system works there, but I'm I mean I'm I'm not one to disagree with with you know a pretty well. Uh, we're gonna well have to get uh, our our sister site Mobile Sushi on, <laughs> but they're sleeping right now, so I won't wake them up. Yeah. So. As I said, read the report. It's super interesting. We'll have a post up on Mobile Syrup. Let's move on because we've spent 28 minutes and 54 seconds talking about this. Because you love uh, it. Let's, let's, I do. I, I could talk about this all day. The FTC, uh, we'll just talk about this quickly. The FTC sued AT&T uh, for $100 million over reports of throttling unlimited data plans. This was... Uh, back in the day, AT&T used to offer unlimited plans when they had a 3G network and they really wanted to differentiate from Verizon who had a much wider network, but their unlimited plans did not, they claimed that they did not throttle. Even, you know, if you could use it 20, 30, hundred gigs, you wouldn't be throttled. What was actually happening was that after, um, a certain amount of data you were being throttled. And that's the way that things work in Canada on companies like wind when wind offers an unlimited data plan in their terms of service they actually say uh you can use unlimited data but you'll be throttled to like 256 kilobytes or kilobits downlink after five gigs which is barely usable it's like edge speed and you remember edge i remember when edge was like whoa edge (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I have, I have, the last time I saw Edge was actually last weekend in driving to my hometown of Sault Ste. Marie, where apparently there is just no network coverage on Rogers on the Trans-Canada Highway. And it, it actually, I actually saw Edge, and uh, it went down to GPRS. Can you believe that? Yeah, I can believe it. I see, uh, I see Edge quite a bit, actually, on Rogers. Um, fun fact, there is no Edge network on TELUS and Bell because they started out as CDMA carriers mm-hmm. and they jumped straight to HSPA plus or HSPA and then HSPA plus. So 3G is the lowest they can go. If there is no 3G signal, you just won't have a signal. Yep. So there you go. Because it, it was the old EVDO networks that they got rid of? Well, they still have them. They just don't have phones that work with both. Mm. right bands because they used to be reliant on verizon and sprint more so verizon for their um for their phones because you know back in the day carriers like verizon had a lot more 
buying power than Telus and Bell ever would. Yeah. So they would just stay with the Bell or the uh, Verizon ecosystem and Sprint to, to a lesser extent. But now everybody's on all of the the bands because Qualcomm does good things. Because Qualcomm ate the world. They did, and they're kind of losing it. But well, the 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 world has moved beyond mobile, right? But eh, I don't I don't know about that. I mean, Qualcomm just had a, had a tough year. We should we should do an oral history on the system of a system on a chip. Oh, that would be amazing. How that changed everything. It um, has. It's changed everything. And now Intel wants a piece. They want it bad. Yeah. Shout out Recon. Get that money, son. Hundred mil. We don't know the we don't know the acquisition cost, but it's probably around that, right? Is it enough for them to say yes? <laughs> that's all, that's well, all it needs to be, right? We we know that about uh, this time last year, about March of 2014, they bought another startup, uh, a hardware startup called Basis, and Basis is based out of San Francisco, but they uh, create these really really slick um, athletes wearables. So they have always on heart rate monitoring they have gps they've got a touch screen i mean it's it's like the basis peak i reviewed it on mobile Surf. uh if you haven't seen it check it out it's actually a really nice kind of athlete focused wearable well that's exactly what recon the recon jet is right so yep. it's interesting that they're buying and uh intel had invested in uh recon instruments um previously so it's it's interesting because like like hey their their investment arm had a nice exit once they bought them, um, but it's in, it, it's 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 that thing where the these chip chip suppliers chip manufacturers technology companies are buying potential customers for their product hmm. to use in consumer products, right? Um, or Intel's got this you know super sports cyborg long game thing that they're looking to play. Well, I mean, they're they're basically trying to get their own chips into everything. Yeah. So how do you do that? Yeah. You buy up the companies that need your product. Yeah. Because they're the only they're the only major chip manufacturer that doesn't produce their own consumer electronics. Like they're not like Samsung, right? Yeah, but Samsung's chip business is very nascent. I mean, recently, until no, no, the no, Galaxy. S- the comparison there being like Samsung using making it making screens and a variety of different things, right? Like. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Right, Intel. Well, I mean, Intel still owns its own foundries, yeah, which uh, is really good for them. Uh, we should get somebody on here to talk about like the semiconductor business because it is fascinating. Yeah, it is if, just a crazy, crazy place. If you thought reports on Canadian wireless usage was interesting, wait till you <laughs> see this coming up on Serial. Uh, we we investigate a murder. Dude. Uh, yeah, what killed what killed the what EDO? killed the chip business? Killed the chip. <laughs> um, macroeconomics. I bet you can't. Uh, eat okay. One. Can we talk about Stephen Elop? Yeah, we can. What's up, Elop? Where are you gonna I go like now? Microsoft a lot. <laughs> I like Microsoft. I like this new Microsoft. This so new much. Twenty first century tech company Microsoft that. Um, is a tech company before it's a business or as much as it is a business. Whereas I would say like for the nineties and most of the two thousands, it was a, it was a business company that just happened to produce techie stuff. 
You know what? What's interesting to me is, like, I'll, I'll give you an example of the way that Microsoft treated uh, their journalists at uh, at Build. So during this, like, always, like every every time there's a a developer conference, the issue is that the keynote address is always going to be way too long right? It's always mm-hmm. uncomfortable. There's never enough power. There are never Ethernet jacks. There's never water. There's never anything. You're just, it's just yeah, you'll you. always need to pee. And it, always, like immediately, you're like, crap, I just peed. What happened? Microsoft did it right. They had tables set up for the journalists with power, with Ethernet. That was fast. Oh my God, it was good. They had, um, you know, they, they, they allowed you to bring water into the thing, like they had ample food. It was just, it was a really great experience. Uh, Satya Nadella was really engaging as a speaker. He brought people on stage, men and women who knew what they were talking about. They weren't nervous. The HoloLens stuff was super interesting. It was really engaging, except for the fact that they spent most of the time talking about like really, really hardcore developer stuff. Like, Stuff that most journalists have, kn- and I actually had a conversation with some other journalists ju- uh, on Twitter about this during the keynote because everybody had just tuned out. They were like, "Oh, okay, well, I guess this is a developer conference because all you're talking about <laughs> is Azure and like, you know, C plus plus and how you know all these hooks and calls and APIs." And it's like w- we understood the very high level versions of what they were talking about. But what will be interesting, and what if you haven't read Paul Ford's "What Is Code" piece in uh, on Bloomberg, you should because it's like a, it's amazing. But it also speaks to the fact that you can't really be a successful tech journalist without knowing a bit of code, or at least knowing enough about code that you can write about it competently. So, uh, yeah. So it's uh, I, in in my you know brief history doing like uh, product or project management this comes into play. You have to know enough to be able to call bullshit when a developer tries to sell you something or say something can't happen. Hmm. And in this circumstance, it's you have to know enough to understand when the platform provider is trying to sell the developers something, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I get that. Um, from what I... From what I took away, the Microsoft announcements were pretty dry. But at the same time, they've done such a good job engaging the kind of... There are so many different kinds of Microsoft developers, too. You know, there are cloud you know, cloud developers who work primarily in, like, the IT space and optimizing, you know, infrastructure, back-end infrastructure. There are, you know, the, the office and enterprise users who who really you know live and breathe um you know office and exchange and all these things and then there's the smaller but equally engaged consumer developer community that really wants to believe that microsoft's developer tools for windows 10 are going to take things to the next level and universal Mm -hmm. apps are really going to change the game and that you know hololens is just another screen for developers to to you know to, to practice on and iterate on yeah. I, I like that. I like that strategy, but it's it's so so dry. Well, it it means they're serious though because it, they're taking the time to win over the people that they actually need to win over to produce the things that will win over the tech media. 
Like, like winning over the tech media is the outcome of doing something right. It should not be the intention. So, um, but hey, we didn't talk about Stephen Elop getting uh, press release shit canned. So he didn't get press release shit canned. He got letter or internal memo shit canned, which is even worse slash better. I mean, this well, is it's a, you know, you know, as soon as that goes out, it's like that's a that's a press release essentially. It is, yeah, you're right. Um, so even Elop uh, used to work in the office division at Microsoft left to become CEO of Nokia, brought Nokia into the Microsoft fold back in 2011, partnered with Microsoft on Windows Phone, got bought by Microsoft, brought into the Microsoft fold as devices, the Microsoft devices, and is now out of the company. So so you skipped a whole bunch of him ripping Nokia apart. (laughs) From the inside. But I mean, yeah. Although I don't know if anybody else could have done any better. And Tomi Ahonen, I know, is your is your guy, but like he's not. Well, I think beyond Nokia beyond was, what, was, like I think I enjoy Tomi Ahonen because he he goes deep. He goes super deep into what Nokia was and what it could have been and all the, all this thing. Um, but beyond that, like at the end of the day, this is a person that left one company um, to go to it. Left company A to company B, removed anything that was unique independent and compelling about company B partnered with company A sold company B to company A. And then they got rid of everyone from company B at company A, like it literally is an inside job. There were a intentionally lot of or unintentionally like, but was it any different? And I, I know I'm going to get slandered for this, but was it any different from what Google did with, with, with the uh, Motorola uh no because motorola made it out intact they they did sort of but google i mean for all intents and purposes microsoft didn't buy nokia for elop they bought it for the lumia brand they bought it so that it would allow them to iterate on their How's that Lumia brand doing for them right now? It's doing terribly. I mean, not even like well in the slightest. But what I'm what I'm alluding to is that the Lumia brand, or at least the Microsoft Devices division, which is you know made up of Surface, uh, of 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 Windows, of Hololens, uh, and Lumia, are all part of the single you know universal app strategy, right? And for Microsoft to pay as much as it did for Nokia to just abandon it is a travesty. But what it, what it allows Microsoft to do is have a fully fleshed out ecosystem of devices along the, along with all of Nokia's manufacturing facilities and partners, it's carrier relationships. I mean, Nokia hasn't released a good phone in a long time but that doesn't mean that carriers don't know who they are, that they don't really like working with the company. And, you know, Microsoft needed to get its foot in the door and they just paid uh, through yeah, the nose to do it. What, weren't the biggest problems with Nokia phones in the past three years, the fact that they were Windows phone Nokia phones? Well, that's because Windows Mobile, Windows Phone, was a, I'm not going to say <laughs> bad product but it was an underwhelming product with a lot of issues. 
and that wasn't Nokia's fault. Nokia made the best hardware next to the iPhone. I mean, they still make great hardware. They just don't have a platform on which to take advantage of it. I don't know, even know who they is right now. Do you mean like the Nokia that still exists that's getting back into phones or the part of Nokia that somehow still exists in Microsoft? Like Nokia is now Microsoft. We're, I mean, Microsoft told... I mean, the, the current Nokia, the network systems Nokia is not allowed to make smartphones until next year. So they're, when I refer to Nokia, I refer to the Nokia inside Microsoft or also known as Microsoft devices. Okay. So I think the long and short of this is that anyone who's interested in Microsoft succeeds. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Eating should be happy because the history of this gentleman is one of having absolutely no success and making questionable decisions to the point that people question his actual intentions towards success. Second, everyone in the mobile space should be happy <laughs> because they've, you, you've just removed an actor who like destroyed one of the most important, if not the most important mobile companies of the, of the first 20 years of mobile. Totally. And what, what's important about this is that Microsoft seems to understand mobile better than they ever did. Because what they're doing is they are essentially doing what Google has done by understanding that they are not the only player. They cannot, there's, there's no such thing as platform lock-in anymore. Yeah. Apple is the only company, love them or hate them, that can do platform lock-in successfully. Even Google cannot do platform lock-in and get away with it anymore. Yeah, but because and, and it, the reason because they're not trying to do platform lock-in, they're just making their stuff. Here's the they're stuff just, that we make, and you want it. Whereas, making great products. Yeah, whereas Samsung tries to get you to stay in the Samsung ecosystem because they want to be Samsung. Oh, like that's they want so different. That's so 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 different. Like Samsung is coming at it from an Apple perspective, where yeah. they want to sell smartphones by making great software to make it more, to incentivize people to buy a Samsung phone over an HTC or an LG, but they are so bad at creating those services that they're left out the door every time they try they're not to even, They're not even bad. They're just late. Like you can, o- there can be only one, man. No, they're not late. They're not. They're really, it's not about being late. There are, there is ample opportunity for Samsung to differ- differentiate themselves even within the Google ecosystem. By, by making smart, elegant decisions and, and software that speaks to the people who use it. But they missed every single opportunity. Every time they make something, it fails because they don't know how to make software. They don't know how to iterate properly. Well, they, they also they, don't commit, right? Well, that's, yeah, I guess so. How many so. products do they launch and announce and then a, a year later, they're not really doing anything? Anyways, so all the people that were loving the beginning of this podcast are now hating us. 
because we're having the same conversation. New? We all we <laughs> shout out to us. How many, how many people listen to? They like hate listen to this. Yeah. They like put it on in their car and they just drive faster and faster and just change lanes without signaling. And they, and they count the minutes. Yeah, and then they, they text while driving. Um, <laughs> they give okay. uh, they give the the finger to a to a cyclist who's probably me because you know they assume that I'm just a cyclist. Um, blew a flat also, on the my bike. The my bike got a flat tire today, which sucks. Tis the season, man. I blew one earlier the week. Sucks. But the right, other thing, let, let's move on. Let's let's let's. No, no, no. Hang on. I want to talk about. I want to talk about where Microsoft goes from here because okay. they just released a new version of Windows 10 Mobile, which is the the official name of its mobile platform. But Windows 10 proper for desktop and tablets are, is coming out on July 29th. That's a month and a bit away. Windows 10 Mobile is not coming out until the end of the year. And I'm guessing the end of the year, like December end of the year. Because the state of Windows 10 Mobile right now in its current preview, technical preview, is like unusable. It is just terrible. You can't even, I mean, obviously it's pre-beta or whatever they want to call it. But like I'm using Android M on my Nexus 6 without many problems. I'm using iOS 9 on my iPad Air 2 without many problems. I cannot use Windows 10 Mobile on my Lumia 830 mm-hmm. because it is just it's just bad news bears. So I think that Microsoft understands that they need to release a product that works and they'll wait and wait and wait until they until it finally gets there. But how long can they wait until people stop giving a shit? Uh they can wait as long as they want if they make money off of the services that are running on all the other platforms. Like that's the thing that you said, right? They're they've learned that um, mobile isn't about one platform; it's services for all platforms. So, but why invest in it at all? Because if you why can, not just can the entire thing? Because if you can own the stack, it's awesome, and you know they have enough. They have enough tendrils. They have enough, you know, Xboxes and Hololenses and surfaces and things that if they can find the one uh, IO ring to rule them all, then holy crap, that's them. That's them owning tech for the next ten years, right? Because because that's not going to happen. Because the network effect that Apple still has from everyone being on iOS or every every developer and service being on iOS. You know, Apple could punt out three bad devices in a row and there's still, you know, there's still that network effect. So but to get, they've to also get that, got the momentum. Yeah. Momentum. It's about but, momentum. But momentum Microsoft. is uh, inertia, which is a resistance to change in motion, right? So if Microsoft is positively accelerating here, that benefits them, even if the gains are incremental. It's it's a long gameplay, right? Especially it's if they're not. setting themselves it's, up it's for too long. Well, yeah, but it, but it, it never ends, man. Hololens, like they're doing VR stuff. Like they bought Minecraft for a bajillion dollars. They bought they bought the first killer app for the future platform that no one has yet, like AR. Sure. As long as Windows 10 Mobile is not resource draining. As long as developers can create a single app that works on all of Windows 10's many screens, then it will just be a frictionless 
transition to mobile, right? It's yeah. like somebody Except creating- that's never happened in the history of technology, which is so, why I think even like Jane was still around when you guys were like, yo, Windows, one platform this is going to be great. And I was like, nope, it's never happened. The needs of each device are too specific slash like unless there's a radical change in the way that coding happens and resource usage like this isn't going to work. Well, that's been Apple's and to some extent Google's strategy all along, right? You cannot unify iOS and OS X. There's no way to do it successfully. You know, we haven't spoken about WWDC, shout out Fresh Fruit, episode three. But if you do, if you do look at what Apple announced at WWDC, it's very much an iterative um, process of adding desktop-like features. It's it's the Final Cut X of iOS. It's mm-hmm. basically you cut it down to size, you start from scratch, and you build up. And they've been building up iOS for nine years. For nine years, they've been doing this, making it better and better and more and more desktop-like, more and more capable. But I don't think and if, if they're ever, I don't think it's ever their intention to unify them and create one single platform because they know that there are millions of Mac users who need OS X, who rely on the Mac. Similarly, as as many as as often as people say that Chrome OS and Android are going to unify, I don't think there's ever going to be a single Android code base that will just support a mouse and keyboard and multitasking and all these things as successfully as Chrome does. Yeah. Well, but it's but it's like that's because Apple looks at the outputs, not the outcomes, right? They look at we want to make a really nice wristwatch. What do we need for this to happen? Let's go build that versus we would love to have cross portability across all things and live in a in a Star Trek futuristic world where you can ask the computer exactly what you need and, and have it work on every screen. Um, and sometimes tap your communicator, sometimes just say things and have the computer know. Like right. until we get to a point where the devices are only slave units presenting content that is being processed somewhere else. I do not believe in, in a one platform world. Like I do not believe that they can create a code base, especially as, as much as I was saying, Microsoft is making smart decisions before, like they have never, like, have, they, have you ever seen something that they've made and been like, that is some hot shit coding. This is fast and furious and smooth and smart. Like, I don't Microsoft? Know, yeah. Yeah. The last year has been all about making hot shit coding happen. I mean, their mobile apps are clean. They're fast. They are... It's easy if you buy other people's apps. No, no, no. They're, they're, they're not just doing that. They're building apps internally they're focusing on building native android apps that work with within the ecosystem they're not just ios app ripoffs they're they have separate code bases for all of them they're not just um you know they're not just facsimiles all i'm saying do a software update on a surface tablet or a windows pc and there's still a lot of the old microsoft and the new microsoft but that's because windows 10 as much as it tries to get away from it's you know Windows Seven, Windows XP, even legacy. It's still Windows. It's still based on this kind of interaction model. Whereas if they're building for iOS and Android, which mm-hmm. have been developed for touch, for simplicity from the beginning, they do a lot better. 
And I think the Microsoft of the future needs to acknowledge that. And they made a mistake unifying the code base of Windows 10 with the mobile version because Windows mobile or sorry, Windows phone for all of its quirks was super simple. And I worry about the fact, and I'm, I'm, this may be an unfounded concern because it may be based on a single kernel, but there's still going to be customization for mobile and touch. But I do worry that the settings may be a bit too unruly, that there may be those update issues because I've never experienced that on Windows phone. I like Windows phone. I think it's it's capable. I mean, I met a guy, a diehard Windows Phone user the other day, still rocking a broken screen Lumia 1020. Uh, shout out Igor. It was at his birthday. Yeah, a guy named Brian. I remember Brian, I was, yeah, I was we, sitting beside him just being like, yeah, man, that Windows Phone looks so pretty. It does. And it was a Lumia 1020. It's still got a great camera. But the dudes hold on to it. But I, I talked to him about it. And he said, you know, I'm thinking about switching over to an iPhone because... I just can't deal with all these apps that aren't there. Everybody's like, hey, use this app. And I'm like, I can't. I'm on Windows Phone. So well, also he had just like he had been talking previously about using like a some sort of borked version of Snapchat. It wasn't like, borked. It was a you know, Rudy Hoon, who's that like superstar third party or um yeah, third party app developer who basically reverse engineers all these great um, services for Windows Phone. He created Six Tag, which is you know a great Instagram. Six Tin, which was Tinder. Um, you know Six Snap or Six Chat or whatever for Snapchat. Like all these companies have basically had to shut him down because he's so smart. He just reverse engineers all these closed APIs. Yeah, but it, like the guy was saying that like him using that not first party Snapchat app got him like banned from Snapchat. Pretty much, but that's because. What's his name? Evan Spiegel is a 23-year-old idiot who doesn't know what the hell he's doing. But hey, whatever. Woo. Everybody knows Snapchat Shots and loves Snapchat. fired. Shout out Jeff Broussard, by the way. We just gave you deep, deep Microsoft cuts. Also, Snapchat is so freaking popular. Oh, my God. I was hanging out in New York the other week, and uh, my buddy brought a bunch of like young 20 somethings to the, to the bar. And it was, don't get fired slash unengaged. Oh no. Oh no, no, no. I couldn't stand these people. They were basically just taking selfies and Snapchatting them to all of their friends all night. I didn't, they didn't like, I thought I was bad by t- checking my phone in public and, and around, uh, around friends. No, cause they you're doing it for productivity. They didn't even, they didn't even look up from their phones the entire time we were at dinner. It was, it was actually really rude. So you know why? Because the future of communication will be defined by technology, and wearable tech will define communication through body language. So they won't have to make eye contact anymore. They'll be able to feel them uh, on their wrist, in their shirt, everywhere else. You might be having a wearable. That's what hmm, Tom Emmerich thinks. I wonder where you're going with this. Uh, I think I think wearables expert and just world-renowned handsome man, Tom Emmerich, dropped uh, an editorial on Bubble Syrup and the Beta Kit uh, yesterday uh, talking about uh, the possibility for us to, you know, continuing to develop. If, if, if the current interface for communication in the mobile environment, the mobile social environment, is Snapchatting and photos and emoji, what will communication look like when we are all power gloved out and that we will spend more time 
feeling information haptically, tactilely, tactically, <laughs> um, than, than uh, looking at it or um, writing it. I, I thought it was a, a great piece and uh, super crazy. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it the whole Project Jacquard thing makes me very concerned. Um, there's there's an issue with his argument, and that there's there needs to be intent, right, with any movement, right? You need to we we are, we're constantly moving, so body language is is a subconscious thing, you know, for a lot of a lot of people. They may shift their weight. They may move their hands. They may smirk. They may scowl. They may do a lot of these things. They may brush their hands up against their, you know, stomach or, you know, scratch their leg or their eyebrow when they're nervous. These are all forms of body language. What is so interesting to me is how will wearables adapt to those in, you know, these inert uh, sort of unconscious movements and how will we use them to communicate? Well, so the, the the interesting thing, so in in the piece, uh, Tom links to a, a TED talk, which uh, I can't remember the name of the gentleman. He's, he's a basically like a super brainiac scientist dude who's working with um, blind people to have them be able to feel, or no, sorry, deaf people to have them be able to feel words in communication. Because I guess the way that the brain works is the brain is in a black box sensory information comes in, doesn't really know how or from where, and it puts it into context. So you can have people who have lost their sense of vision be able to process visual information in a different way because the brain just has a, a, it's a very responsive muscle in terms of just sorting things out. It's a, the Swiss army knife of sensory information. So that, that intent can come in us, you know, in enabling people who might be limited in processing information processing in a new way so they can get that experience. Um, you know, the, the comparison being like, we don't, you know, uh, a dog's olfactory, olfactory sense is so much beyond ours, but we don't consider, you know, ourselves limited because we can't sense the world in that formal way. Um, I, I think the, the, the subtleties of subconscious communication you're talking about in terms of body language uh, like it, it might not be um, those things. What if we start picking up and receiving uh, the subtle, you know, just body heat, heart rate, things like that. Other, other non-visual subconscious cues to let us know what people are thinking and feeling in a non-visual that's so way. so far in the future. Oh my God. And it's, it's not that far in the future, but I mean, to, to do it correctly and to do it uh, with any semblance of, you know, it's, it's, it's one thing to get all this data. I mean, we talk about how, you know, we have a Fitbit, we have an Apple Watch, we have a, a, a Pebble Time and Android where all this data all the time from our, our bodies is being processed and put into databases. But what are we actually doing with that data? And for all intents and purposes, you're just talking about another multi, you know, set of data points uh, that some computer has to process. Yeah. And but they're already doing it. The guy, guy giving the conversation was able to feel in his shirt um, applause from an audience and have a, a sensory reaction to that. Someone can feel uh, or the, the deaf person could um, feel what someone was saying on his shirt and then write the word that he was saying 
without being able to hear it. So I, I want to I want to feel your smile on me, Bader, in the future. You can't already. Not on the part I want to feel it on. Oof. Hello, X-rated pod. Yeah. Well, we've been potting for like two hours, man. I know it's been forever. But we pairs. haven't potted for two weeks, so I know it's the summer, guys. Come on, we've been traveling, continuing to travel. We have a whole second podcast now. What do you want from us? Let's move on. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the Pebble Time. Okay. Um, the future I've, that is not now. The f- well, it is. I mean, it's basically still a brand new product. Um, the not future that is now. Yes. Whatever. Uh, Sell me on this thing, man. You've been wearing it. I think it looks super goofy. You're really hyped about it, or at least no, I'm not. I'm not hyped about it. I'm actually really not hyped about it. I'm, I'm a little bit concerned that Pebble didn't really figure out what made its product so useful in the first place. So, for example, um, you know, it's become one of those tropes that like every new wearable, every new smartwatch has to have some some innovation, right? It's still such a nascent area. There has to be something that makes you want it, not just the fact that it works with your smartphone, you know? The yeah, because that wasn't good Pebble, enough in the first place. Yeah, I mean, Pebble's first version was new. It was the first that did it properly and well. Now, the second one is a little bit thinner. It's got a color screen. Its battery life is really good. But really, its battery life is the only thing that makes me go okay, this is why I would want a Pebble Time. You know, it's, it does look a bit cheap. You know, put next to a Moto 360 or a, an Apple Watch, it does look really toy-like. Um, its color screen is great, but I was disappointed with its output. It's not, like a, it's not like a color screen that you would find on a smartphone at all. But it's, I mean... Is it like is, a color screen in like a Game Boy kind of color screen? Oh, totally. Like? I mean, it's very much like Game Boy Color type of uh of a product but at at the same time it's also dimmer than and the contrast is worse than the original pebble time so unless you're looking at monochrome things on your screen um you know there's really no advantage to having the color screen on here the always on screen is great so being able to check the time always which is something that even the apple watch can't do like you know the the one major flaw about the with the apple watch there's no always on screen option. You can't have a low power setting for the Apple Watch. I think, I think, so I've heard a lot that with software updates, the battery life on the Apple Watch has gotten significantly better. I would, I would assume that that changes in version two or something like that, you know? Like they'll get to there. That long. We don't, we won't have to wait till the second version. I yeah. think somebody will figure out a way. I mean, I don't, I don't have bad battery life on the Apple Watch. My, ba- my Apple Watch lasts two days easily. So, yeah. But the novelty's worn off here. The novelty for the Pebble? Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's the, the problem is that it's just not that cheap. You know, when you talk about a $250 smartwatch, you know, you, you used to say, well, you know, that was, that was expensive. And then the Pebble got cheaper. The original Pebble is 99 bucks. The Pebble Time is 199 the thing is that Android Wear is uh, quickly commoditizing, so you can get a 
LG G watch or an, even a Moto 360 for like $150, $200. That's a far better decision. So I just don't see the purpose of a double time other than the fact that you need to have, uh, unless you need a really long lasting battery or an always on screen. So you're, so you're thinking maybe they should have gone the other way and made it like, like less, not less functional, but like less bells and whistles that aren't really bells and whistles and just been like, this thing lasts 60 days. It's like e-ink and you can, you know, like something like that rather than when, when the pebble time costs $99 in a, a couple of years or even in 18 months or 12 months, depending on how quickly Pebble realizes that it needs to cost $99, this will be a great smartwatch. Well, they pre-sold a whole heck of a lot of them. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think that it's a very capable product. Um, you know, the the thing is about the Pebble is that it's very geeky, right? There's a there's a geekiness to it that that is is actually quite attractive. Um, you know, when, when I see people wearing a Pebble, I can approach them in a different way i can say oh you're a geek i know you're a geek and i'm cool with that and let's talk about geeky stuff so say we all right so the thing about the pebble is that there's some great developer tools but now that the apple watch has been out for two months now that android wear has been out for over a year there's so much more you can do with those things and you know just the other day like i i was talking about how one of the major reasons i really like the apple watch is that it has this transit app integration that I can check my streetcar times without taking out my watch. It's really, or my phone, you know, it's really easy to, it it uses the GPS in my phone to see where I am. I can see when the next streetcar is. It's that kind of like low friction app experience that I really like. Apple should buy transit and build it into maps. (laughs) Just Uh, straight up. Speaking of uh, the fact that they spent like 20 minutes on the maps version or the the app maps update in ios 9 at the keynote well they have a lot of catching up to do man they gotta... yeah i don't know i think the maps on ios 9 is probably pretty good but whatever well perception perception yeah the perception is that it's always going to be bad so they, yeah. they 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 really messed up on that um yeah i just don't think that there's a solution it's the same as windows right it's a it, it's a solution that it's a chicken and egg. They need they need the app developers to come in and create great experiences, but until it's cheap and accessible and popular, the developers aren't going to be there. Yeah, I like the fact that it's cross-platform compatible. I can actually connect an Android and an iOS phone to it at the same time and receive notifications at the same time. So I don't know why you'd want to do that, but it just speaks to the fact that it's like a really open platform. It's really simple. Uh, and it works. It works really well. Yeah, but it's a really open and simple independent platform that doesn't have any of the benefits of the platforms owned by the major hardware players. And like we saw this happen, we saw this happen in mobile so much on the hardware end and the software end. Like you, you're going into battle against the giant gorillas, and they can do things that you can't, unless you have one super compelling thing that you're known for that everyone admits that they're willing to buy that, that identity that you're talking about beyond just the nerd cachet, you're, you're just slowly going to get squeezed out. They're going to add everything that you do. They're going to have way more and you know, they'll probably be able to manufacture it at a, at a price that like 
squeezes you up because unless you undercut them, you know, like I, 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 I don't see a future for Pebble other than it being bought. I, I, I can see that. Of course, I said the same thing about Fitbit and their IPOs going redonk right now. So, and redonk is a financial term. Thank you. Mm, I don't know if Fitbit's going to have a long future, to be honest. Certainly have stacks of cash. For now, but they're at the whim of the public. True. So we'll see. Um, yeah, so uh, I'm gonna I'm doing my review right now. I got the red one. If you're looking at the the uh, the video feed, this is the red Pebble Time. It's actually quite quite attractive. Uh, red and silver and black. I quite like it. Perfect for comments. Um, let's, let's move on to BlackBerry. Um, of course, we have to bring up the rumor of BlackBerry creating an Android phone. As a former BlackBerry employee, uh, what is your take on this? Uh, whoa. Okay, so a couple things. Uh, I think if they made an Android phone, they would probably sell a fair amount. But I think the time to have done that was years ago. Um, I think all that would do would give them the same OEM headaches that all the other Android manufacturers have in terms of being like, you know, com- competing uh, very uh, voraciously. And then, you know, a lot of it being upon brand recognition and marketing to be able to win a huge share. Now, if they just put something out where they're looking to just sell, you know, 10 more million units and just slowly increase um uh, their their revenue, I could see that. But at the end of the day, they've already pivoted to be a software and services company. So doing this kind of, like they, they've released all their software for Android anyways. They don't really care if you buy a BlackBerry phone. So to make a BlackBerry phone running Android to run BlackBerry software, like it just seems like they're it's not what they would lead with to sell. So you actually think that they could sell in numbers? Really? I think people would buy a, a BlackBerry built phone running like they still do hardware fine, man. Why the though? Classic. Like why would they buy it over an HTC? Uh, which is also struggling. Why would they buy it over a Sony? They buy it over Sony because Sony's released the same phone for like seven years. Okay, fine. Um, Why would they buy well, one over they, HTC? They would buy it over a Sony because people know BlackBerry better than they know Sony. They buy it over HTC because people know BlackBerry better than they know HTC. That is not um, true in the slightest. You're talking about maybe in Canada they know BlackBerry better than HTC. And so no, in the U.S., they certainly know BlackBerry better than HTC. No, they don't. No, no, they don't. It's just in pure brand awareness. Pure brand awareness. Brand awareness sure. has less to do with the current state of marketing. And I don't think that people, I mean, BlackBerry has under 1% market share in the U S yeah, no one's buying their BlackBerry phones, but they know who BlackBerry as a company is. So right? It, like I, I think, I think BlackBerry has enough of ident. What I'm trying to say is BlackBerry has enough of an identity that if they were to release an Android phone, they would stand out from the pack of people where, you know, you really can't see a difference. Like what, who are the two, Android manufacturers that have a, a clear identity and are trying to do, do something interesting. Motorola and Samsung. 
everyone else is struggling to find something that works. Um, Motorola doesn't sell. They don't sell in numbers at all. Yeah. My, so but Samsung is the only company. So let me, I mean, let me throw this at you. When Palm released the pre yeah. and the touchpad or after HP bought it, but mm-hmm. when Palm released the pre, everybody thought that it would be a huge success that everybody, because they knew the Palm pilot would go out and buy the pre. Yeah. And then they tried it and they tried it and it was a miserable failure, even though it was a great product. Blackberry is at this point way below Palm in terms of brand recognition where they were back then. In 2009, everybody knew Palm. Everybody. Everybody in mobile, not the broad swath of consumers. I disagree. Palm was a very, it was a BlackBerry competitor for a long time. One of these days we're going to have a conversation about Q rating. (laughs) That's fine. Jay-Z never wrote a song about Palm. Like, Like we know Palm, Nobody knows Palm. But even people okay. who are like BlackBerry, that old business phone, still know what a BlackBerry is. But okay, my point is, is that they have an identity, but making an Android phone would give them all the same headaches of every other Android manufacturer, where unless you have Samsung's money to spend on marketing to be the next big thing positioned in competition against Apple, it is very hard to profit from that. I compl- it's better off I just- for them to, to simply continue as they are and like they've already released, um, I can't remember the name of it, but the announcement that we covered a few months back, like all, all the core services of BlackBerry are will be available for Android and iPhone. So you don't need to buy a BlackBerry handset. Like they are a software Fine. services company. But let's talk about the fact that BlackBerry's Q score in 2011 was so much higher than it is today. Nobody cares about the BlackBerry name. They may know it. It may be a recognizable brand. But in terms of actual market pull, you can can look at something and laugh and have no intention of buying it. It's about buying intention. Okay. Yeah, but I think but I think that would that would change if they know it's running Android, right? Because then it's just literally about the hardware. No, it's that would make it even worse because then it would be a commodity. Then it would just it would insert itself into a completely saturated market that everybody everybody only knows of one company. I mean, if you talk about the the broad the broad swath of consumers, they know they only know Samsung as an Android manufacturer. It's Samsung versus. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying it's a bad idea. I'm saying doing it would be a headache. It would be not. It would not for whatever amount of devices that they might sell. Like people who like might want a BlackBerry, but like want an Android phone, it's not worth like they they it's not a net win for them to do this. I, I, Samsung I Samsung stands out from the crowd because of its scale. Yeah. BlackBerry stands out right now because it has a unique story. It may be a small story. It mm-hmm. may be a story that about struggle, about uh, um, about security. It may be a story and a narrative that is not particularly sexy to the average consumer, but it's a story that is unique. Yeah, Going absolutely. Android, it completely removes that narrative. It completely destroys that uniqueness. That's what I'm saying. So if, if the best case scenario for BlackBerry to make Android phones is the level of success that Motorola is having, which is we like their phones, but they don't sell as much, why it's not worth the time and the attention when you're already releasing your services 
for Android and iPhone, which you'll actually profit from. Like follow the Microsoft strategy. Like Microsoft still has to make hardware because they have enough of a, because of the, the, the Windows 10 thing that we just spent half an hour discussing. BlackBerry doesn't have any of that. If they were gonna do this, it should have been, geez, what, it's 2015 right now? Should have been four years ago. Yeah, back in 2011 at their height. Or, or sorry, even five years ago, I would say. Yeah, that would, that would have been a, a ballsy move. Speaking wow. of companies at their height, Apple. Uh, they announced Apple Music during WWDC. Uh, it was one of the more contentious parts of the keynote. Uh, Drake came out. I disrupted Drake by shouting out. Sweet. That was you? Oh, yeah, baby. Uh, it was me and Tristan Banning during uh, when he said Toronto. And we went nuts. And he looked at us and he pointed and he got super flustered. I love you so much more for knowing now that that was you. Oh, it was great. Um, So it had Drake, it had Jimmy Ivine, it had a really awkward Eddie Q. It was just a, it was a mess. But like at the end of the day, the product is what stands out. And I don't know if Apple's going to make anything out of Apple Music, but I think what they'll end up doing is uh, pushing streaming music towards the mainstream and it will have nothing but a halo effect for the overall music industry. Agree? Disagree? I so don't care about <laughs> the streaming music battle. Like, cause it's just, it's such a mess and nobody, nobody wins. It is the Vietnam of tech. Like nobody wins. I, I I'm going to continue to buy vinyl with a digital download code. And I'm going to run some songs through iTunes and I'm I'm just keeping my head down until there's a, a clear winner or a reason. I think the way that they're maybe approaching it or the effort they're putting behind it with the 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 radio stuff is really smart because um, they can they can do something culturally, which other uh, tech providers can't. But there's a big big battle happening right now between the tech industry saying that the music is the commodity and they're differentiating on services and the music industry saying that the tech is the commodity and it's about the artists. And I don't want any of it until there's a winner. Like I don't even want to, I don't want to ever have to wonder how I need to consume my media. Like it's enough of a hassle that there are things that I can't just pay for um, in when it comes to video and TV and like, I have to figure out ways to like watch sports and then have Netflix and HBO and whatever, when it comes to music, I, I can't even deal with that. Well, I, I, it's so interesting because I look at it from a very different perspective. And, and again, it comes down to what we were talking about earlier with the Rogers thing. You know, for me, it's about convenience. It's about allowing me access to as many songs as I care to at any time of day and the price I pay, $10 a month, is so little compared to how much I actually use it and enjoy it. So um, if Apple makes an objectively better product, which you know they may do, and they release it on Android and actually care and make a great Android app, then you know who knows? They could, they could supplant Spotify at the top within a couple of years. One of the worst feelings... For me, in a, like a consumer of ed- entertainment, the most frustrating feelings is when I want to go see something that I know is on Netflix 
And it's either, I find that it's not on Canadian Netflix or it is, has been on Netflix and then has been removed. It's no longer there for me to consume. The minute that that would happen to a song that I would like to hear, like I have to be like, okay, so this service is my Taylor Swift service. And this is the one for my in, independent music. Like the, the vast spectrum of music and artists and albums creates a situation that the minute that I have to use more than one service, uh, I think I'm being called by Jay-Z right now. He wants to talk to me about title. Um, <laughs> the, the minute that that happens, like I'm, I'm out. It's just, it's just easier to remain a Luddite right now. It's like, it's actually easier to just buy music from iTunes and, and not have to worry about, do I own this? Will it disappear? I, I get that. But at the same time, <laughs> buying music is expensive. And this is a good, op- this is a good alternative. It's if not expensive. Buying music to- is expensive. $10 I- for an album is expensive. Well, no, but I mean, in the, in, in the sense that $10 a month gives you access to all these different artists that you may not, and, and, and in different formats, right? It's not just albums. It's gives you access. It doesn't give you ownership. I don't need ownership. I don't need the ownership of the music. You do the minute all your music disappears. Well, then. Oh, man, that sucks. The Clash just, the people that own the Clash's um, back catalog just signed an exclusive deal. So all that music that you love listening to is now going over here. You're going to have to sign up for this service. Like, do you really want, like, the, the Rogers Bell, Show Me Crave, Netflix cluster cuss that we have in Canada? Like, oh, but by the way, none of this is happening in Canada right now. Do you really want that to, that problem where really you only want to watch like 15 to 20 things plus sports to happen in music? Like, I don't know, man. I just, no, I'll just stick. I'll stick with, I'll stick with CDs for crying out loud. You're such an old man. No, I'm, but I just like appreciate like I, there's, I don't get enough benefit from the way that, there's no winner in this fight. It's you know. It, it. I mean, I. I completely disagree because it makes me happier to to use. Uh, I mean, I'm not worried that my favorite artist is going to disappear because I have many favorite artists. So if the clash goes away, I have, um, you know, I have Joy Division and I have uh, Pink Floyd and I have all these other contemporaries of the Clash that I would totally be okay listening to on that same service. If all of those went away, then I would transfer to another service. How many? But I, but so you're going to use two services. Like I got, I have all that music right here. Oh man. This beautiful tower. You don't have, you don't have all that music because you have a selection of music. It's a, it's, it's, I mean, I get that you like the curated aspect of it, but at the same time, you know, some song comes in, comes on, you know, in your head and you're like, Oh, I want to listen to that right now. What are your alternatives? If you don't have it on CD, you go to YouTube, you, you, you look it up on SoundCloud on a really low quality version, right? Which is not being, not paying the artist at all, you know? So you're getting, it's a half measure. So that's actually not the way that I consume music. I still consume it in terms of albums. I do. I, I, I get that. But what I'm saying is that if you don't have that album, if you don't, if you, if you, then I click the button on iTunes and then I own it. 
Fair enough. And that's the that's why I, that's why digital downloads are not going away. That's why the album is still a thing. That's why iTunes is a very, very good resource for that. But Apple is just going where the puck is and the puck is streaming. I know. And that's just that's and that's the final word. Because we are approaching an hour and a half and we yeah. gotta because once gotta you hit this. the once you hit the Gretzky reference, it's time to call it a day. Sorry, kids. Um, well, that is our show for today. Uh, thank you so much for listening. If you stuck around for this uh, extended version of the Syrup Especially if you hated it. <laughs> Thanks for hate listening. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, if, you, if you didn't hate this, please give us a, a nice rating on iTunes. Even if you hated it, give us a nice rating on iTunes. Tell us that you hated it, but give us five stars anyway. Um, if you are interested in uh, learning more about us, uh, my name is Daniel Bader. I am on Twitter at JourneyDan, like Journeyman with, with a G, uh, mobilesyrup.com. Douglas, where can people find you? Uh, they can find me writing every day for betakit.com, covering Canadian startups and tech innovation, um, pinch hitting on the, on the mobile syrup as necessary, and on Twitter at Tron, T-R-O-N. And that's it, folks. Thanks so much for listening, and we will see you hopefully next week. Running through the six with my woes. Okay, so. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 